Happy Sunday, everyone. Many of you look well-rested, like you've been at the beach a little bit this week. Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe some, some of us watching online are still at the beach, which, uh, good for you, good for you. Uh, so if we have not met, my name is Carlos, and I get to be a part of this amazing community we call Evergreen. I've been part of Evergreen now for three years, a little over three years, and it is truly a blessing to, to be a part of this church. Um, but I do have a confession to make. I, I, I want to I confess some, some emotions that I have felt over these last three years that I'm not proud of. And, and the, the emotion really comes down to jealousy. I have been jealous about a particular um, small community within Evergreen. Because this community has, throughout the time that I have, and even before, they have provided all these great opportunities for small groups, for, uh, for adventure groups, uh, for Bible studies, for, for you know, large group gatherings, leadership training. And, and I, I, have been, I have not been a part of these groups. Why? Because I am thinking about the Women Growing Together group. They've not invited me in. <laughs> and I have certain feelings about that. So I've been wrestling with this, and, and I realize, you know what? It's time to do something about it. It is 2023, and we need to do something. And so I'm here to announce that on Saturday, April 29th, we are having not a women's growing together group, but a men's golfing together group. So men, we are now included. There is a place for us. And so we're so excited to invite men of all levels of golfing. Uh, we are meeting at McCray Creek, so don't, uh, we'll correct the, the, uh, the flyer there. But men, you are invited to, for a fun tournament. You can start signing up now. Tell a buddy. But you know what? It's time for men to golf together. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Awesome. Okay. So I got that off my chest. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time online or in the room, you are catching the final talk of a series that we are exploring, The Emotions of Jesus. Now, we believe as, as, as followers of Christ that Jesus was fully God, and it's important to think of him as that. It's important to worship and relate to him as the Son of God, as deity, but what we've been making an argument for in this series is that there is much to learn when we contemplate Jesus' humanity, because he was fully God, but he also was fully man. And so when we consider his humanity, there is a lot that we can relate to, and that's what this series has been about. It's about relating to some of the emotions that Jesus experienced while on earth. And I heard it said this way by a pastor, a four-square pastor named Cody Weddington. He said this. He said, Jesus embodied perfect emotional health. Jesus embodied perfect emotional health. And so if there's anything that we can learn from the master, Jesus is what to do with all our emotions. And so today I want to tackle an emotion um, that is, I think, really significant. It's significant in our culture. Um, it's significant, especially in our teenagers. And, um, and so today we're going to be talking about the emotion of anxiety. The emotion of anxiety. And I want to begin by saying that I realize that uh, by me standing here and giving a 30-minute talk on anxiety 
has the potential to make some of us anxious. <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. I, I, I'm aware of that. And so I just want to give you a permission if at any point this gets too much, uh, which I hope it doesn't, you have uh, my blessing, not that you need it, to walk outside of the room and take a breather. If you're watching online, you have uh, my, my go-ahead to hit the mute. But only do it for those reasons, not because I'm boring you or you just, you're just done with me, okay? Please, please, only do it for that reason. Because um, we know um, that Jesus lived uh, this, this really challenging life and considering some of the things he went through, um, we, we have reasons to believe that he dealt with emotions that you and I would associate or think about when we think about anxiety. So I want to look at an event uh, in Jesus' life in Mark 16. So if you have your Bible and you like to read your own translation, open up to Mark 16. Or if you're at home, we invite you to do that. If you don't have it, we're going to have it on the screen behind me. But before we do that, I just want to quickly unpack what we mean by anxiety, because I think if we uh, surveyed the room, many of us would have different definitions. So I want to just kind of offer a common understanding. Uh, at its basic form, anxiety is this. It's a feeling of worry, concern, or apprehension about what's to come. Many would say um, Fear is something that's happening in the moment. Anxiety is something that has yet to happen. It's about a future event or a future worry. Now, we all know that this is perfectly natural. It's the way our minds and bodies relate to stressful situations or stressful thoughts. And, and if you were sitting here today and say, hey, I've never experienced anxiety, I would, the first thing I would do is I'd take your pulse and i say, are you alive? <laughs> are you with us? Because we all know we have all of us experience some degree of worry, concern about the future. Amen? You guys with me? And so we know that most anxiety um, could be managed by just some, some common or well-known coping strategies like breathing techniques, uh, like prayer, like journaling, like exercising, or even having one of those cool fidget spinners, right? Those were kind of popular. Right? They help with some forms of anxiety. But we also know that there can be an extreme or a more significant or serious or complex experience with anxiety that needs far more than a fidget spinner. We know that some of us have experienced things that we would um, call panic attacks or we live with anxiety disorders that I would say need specialized treatment and care. And so I just say that because I don't want to pretend to say that what I'm going to say is going to be this blanket treatment for what you or your, your loved ones or people that you care about are experiencing. There is, anxiety is just so much more complex than that. Are you guys with me? And so there are levels to this. But we're not the only ones talking about this. Um, I, I am um, proud or not proud to confess that I watched the show Ted Lasso. I don't know if you guys have watched it. This is not my pastoral recommendation on watching this show. It's TVMA. Watch at your own discretion, right? But Ted Lasso, if you don't know, is a very popular show. It's now in its third season. It's won uh, Emmy Awards, and it's just incredibly successful, incredibly successful. Now, those of us who know the show would probably first think about how funny it is and how great of a storytelling 
um, you know, community of writers Ted Lasso has. I mean, it is just a clever, funny, feel-good story. But if you've watched past the first season, you would know that the writers have decided to, to platform their main character, Ted, as someone who is experiencing severe forms of anxiety and depression. And if you watch the show, you're going to see scenes of Ted, who's known for his, you know, his good humor and positivity, to have significant bouts with panic attacks. And so, you know, I was wondering why. Why would a show so successful platform such a, such a dark and hard thing to watch? Well, I believe that the writers of Ted Lasso have tapped into culture and they are making the connection that this is something that so many Americans, human beings, are dealing with today. There are studies that show that um, levels of anxiety in children are higher than levels of people in 1950 who were placed in psych wards. Now, I don't know how they got there, but that just speaks to the significance that this has now been a part of our culture. And so if you're coming here today, um, and this is really near to your heart, maybe this is an experience you're having, I just want to let you know you are not alone, and we tackle this topic believing that there is hope and there is healing on the other side. Amen? Or else we wouldn't talk about it. And so, with that, let's jump into Mark 14, shall we? So, this is a very popular, uh, well-known event. It's the prayer in the garden. And just to give us context, today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus went into Jerusalem riding a donkey, and people threw their coats on the donkey and waved palm branches in celebration of him. This event happened before. Um, And then we know that on Sunday we're going to celebrate the resurrection uh, and Jesus beating death. And so between Palm Sunday and the resurrection, we have this garden moment that we're going to read today. It says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them what? Sleeping. Sleeping. Simon, he said, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. 
returning the third time, everyone say third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. For those of us who have read this portion of scripture or would like to go home and read uh, this, this event, we actually find it in three of the four Gospels. We find it in Mark 14, as we just read. You can also find it in Luke 39 and Matthew 26. And what we know that follows this event is that Judas Iscariot has betrayed Jesus, and he comes with Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus in this garden. So it's a very well-known passage, but there are three things that stood out to me this week that I want to offer you that we could learn about how Jesus managed or responded to a moment with high, high emotions, high, high anxiety and concern. Jesus did three things. The first, Jesus didn't pretend to have it all together. The Son of God did not pretend to have it all together. Number two, Jesus leaned into his inner circle for support. We're going to unpack these. And then the third is Jesus surrendered his preferences for God's purposes. Jesus surrendered his preferences for God's purposes. So let's unpack the text. We see that Jesus goes to this place called Gethsemane that we know was located. It was a garden in the Mount of Olives. And what we know about this place is that it was a place that Jesus went often to pray. And what clues us into that is the fact that Judas was able to find him there. Think about that. Judas knew where Jesus was based on his relationship with them and his practice of going away and praying in this garden. This word Gethsemane actually translates to oil press, which I just think is not a coincidence that Jesus would have this intense moment at this place that was known to press oil for olives to be crushed. And he does something really interesting because we know that Jesus had a close group of 12. One of them had deserted him, had betrayed him. He's no longer in the picture. But he still has 11 left, and he takes his 11, and eight of them, he asks them to sit and wait. While the three that we consider were closest to him, I'm referring to them as his inner circle, he invites into this moment. And what my observation of this is that it seems to me that Jesus needed a private moment, but he didn't want to be physically alone. Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced something so hard where you're just like, I really need to be alone with my thoughts, but I am scared to be alone. I need some physical company. Here was the mighty son of God. And he's asking for company. He's asking his th three closest followers to watch and pray with him. Why? Because it says that Jesus' emotional state, 
could only be described, it's described by the author of Mark, as deeply distressed, troubled. Other translations say that he was anguished, disturbed. Jesus was concerned about what was supposed to happen. And if we consider anxiety as worry or concern about something that has not yet happened, then we could say that Jesus in this moment was experiencing a form of anxiety. Can you blame him? Can you blame him considering what he was about to endure? And we don't have to guess. We don't have to imagine what Jesus is feeling because he didn't bottle up or stay silent about his emotions. And I want to suggest that that's a gift to us because Jesus describes, he gives words to his emotion with this one sentence. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, I believe that Jesus was the ultimate truth teller. And because he's the ultimate truth teller, he does not exaggerate. Jesus describes his emotion as his soul being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I, can, I, I cannot comprehend the level of despair and distress that Jesus was experiencing that night that he was arrested. Now, I do want to point out that Jesus shared his deep distress. He gave words to his emotions, not when he was in the crowd. He waited until he was alone with his inner circle. And that's why I believe that Jesus is modeling for us that we can be vulnerable with a trusted few. That we are called people to be honest and real with those that care for us. Notice that Jesus didn't stand on the mountaintop and express his feelings. He didn't go on Facebook and post what he was going through. He still kept a sense of privacy knowing that only his inner circle were supposed to know what he was going through in that moment. There's wisdom in that. Do you see it? And so Jesus goes on a little further, and he falls to the ground, another physical sign of his distress. And then, and then he prays this prayer that we know um, wasn't a, a simple prayer. It was broken up into moments. We see that Jesus continues to come and go back three times. So we have to imagine he was praying for a significant amount of time. But the gospel Mark, uh, the author of, of Mark, um, he, he summarizes the prayer like this. He says, he says, Jesus prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. That's how Mark summarizes Jesus' prayer that night, that the hour might pass from him. Well, we should ask, what did Jesus mean by the hour? Well, we have reasons to believe because Jesus mentioned the hour quite a few times. He actually mentions it in the Last Supper. He says, when the hour came, he took the disciples at the table and the apostles with them, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Later on, after being arrested, Jesus has this, uh, this uh, 
he has this uh, conversation with those that were arresting him, and he says this, Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. And so what was Jesus asking? What was he praying? I believe that he was saying, God, if you have a plan B that doesn't involve me suffering, I'm all ears. Let's go with that plan. And so here's what I want to highlight. Jesus did not hold back from praying his preferences. Young people today would say, Jesus kept it 100, right? He kept it real. He was honest that what he was about to endure, if there was another way, Father, let's go with that. Do you see the vulnerability in Jesus? Do you see that Jesus didn't have to pretend and model for us that we, when we are experiencing difficulty and challenges in life, we too, we don't have to pretend like we have it all together. And I want to share a little more about that. But I want to just focus in on Jesus' actual prayer where we have three sentences in verse 36. It says this. It says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so here we have Jesus' words. We don't have to guess what he prayed. We, we think he said much more than this. But these three sentences give us the heart of Jesus praying in a moment of high distress, high disturbance, high anxiety. And so what can we learn about Jesus' prayer based on this? I want to I offer four things. The first one is that Jesus prayed while being rooted in relationship. Jesus prayed while being rooted in relationship. Why do I believe that? He begins his prayer by saying, Abba, Father. Now, I have a confession, another confession to make. I am a 38-year-old man, and I am blessed to have both of my parents still alive. My father is still alive. And when I call my father, I do not call him by his legal name. I do not call him padre. My choice of of uh, referring to him consistently, and it has been for 38 years now, is papi. I call him papi. Why? Because that is how I relate to my dad. And I was reflecting on this today. There will not be an age or there will not be something that happens in my life where I will outgrow my status as a son. My father will always be my papi. There's nothing that's going to change. And so here Jesus is modeling for us that in the hardest moments of our lives, we go to God as his children. That is where we start. Jesus, he didn't, he didn't use any fancy religious language to talk to his father. He said, Abba. Daddy, it's a, it's a term of endearment. The next thing we see in Jesus' prayer is that it's rooted in faith. Why? Because he then says, Abba, everything is possible for you. In Luke, he, uh, it says that he prayed 
if you are willing. You see, Jesus believes even in this moment that his father has the power to do anything that he wills. Jesus, this is not a moment in the garden where Jesus' faith was shaky. He wasn't doubting. He wasn't trying to ditch the plan. No, he actually was rooted in faith because he says, Father, in this moment, I believe you are capable of anything. And isn't that inspirational? That you and I can pray to a God that that's true of. That God can do anything. But can we also see that like Jesus, we believe God can do anything, but we don't expect him to do all we ask. Did you catch that? We believe that God can do anything, but we don't expect him to do all that we ask. And that's hard to hear. That's hard to live. Because if you're anything like me, I know what's best for my life, right? <laughs> like, I know, I know, I know how my life should go. And when it doesn't, I start to wrestle with God, and I start to say, God, what's up? This wasn't part of the plan. But God's never promised me that he would answer every prayer as I prayed it but he has shown me enough that he is trustworthy and that his ways are higher. I think about the things in my life that I am most grateful for. They are the things that I have may either not planned for or resisted at the beginning. How many of you can relate to that? Where you're like, God, I don't want my life to look like that. And once it happens, you say, oh, I get it, God. You were in this. This was your will. Thank you for not answering the prayer the way I prayed it. And so all things are possible for God, but not all things are his will. And so Jesus, um, he prays in this. And the last thing, or I'm sorry, two more things. Um, we, we again see the vulnerability in his prayer. Jesus doesn't hold back. He says, take this cup from me. Again, he's saying, Father, if there's another way to save humanity, now's the time to explore that plan. Because what Jesus is referring to in this cup, we know is it's a drink offering. It's symbolic of sacrifice. Jesus is saying, hey, take away this sacrifice. Take away this me laying down my life, if possible. I think we forget that the cross was hard. To be betrayed was hard. To be mocked and flogged was hard. To be crucified and nailed, hands and feet, was hard. Jesus did not go through the motions to die for us. His prayer shows that he, had, he verbalized, if there's another way, please let it be known. But then he finalizes his prayer, and this is what makes Jesus the son of God and the life of perfection because his life has always been rooted in submission to the Father because he ends with, but not what I want, but what you want. 
Jesus saying, not my plans, your plans, not my way, not my desires, not my thinking, your thinking, not my comfort, but your strength, not my preferences, but your purposes. This is what I believe the secret is for Jesus and his life. This is what he constantly did. He constantly elevated the Father's purposes for his preferences. And that is what you and I get to do as we follow Jesus. The, the, the gospel uses the term, we pick up our cross and deny ourselves. And I know that's not sexy. That's not what we want to hear in 2023. But that's the language that the Bible uses to describe a follower of Jesus. Someone who's willing this, to live this life of self-denial for a greater purpose. Not self-denial for self-defeat, but self-denial for a greater purpose. And that purpose is found in Jesus Christ and the life that he calls us. And so we see that Jesus is modeling for us in this moment of anxiety how to be rooted in relationship, how to be rooted in submission, how to be rooted in vulnerability. And we continue in the story uh, because we see that Jesus goes back to uh, twice, a total of three times, to his inner circle, and, and he's asking them to stay awake. He's saying, he's saying keep, keep alert. Stay here and keep watch. And you have to ask the question, what is Jesus referring to or what is he concerned about? We can, we can guess that Jesus is simply saying, hey, I need you to stay awake because I know that they're coming to arrest me, and we need to have a buffer there. You could also say that Jesus is telling uh, Peter and the disciples to to pray and not fall into temptation because what they were about to experience was going to scatter them and Peter would ultimately deny him. And so is he referring to these future challenges that, he, that Peter specifically needed to be prayed up for? I'm going to let you Bible scholars answer those questions. But here's what I know. They didn't come through. Jesus, Jesus was about to die for humanity, and he asked three human beings to stay awake, and they couldn't do it. And you and I might be thinking, hey, I, I would have been able to do that. Some of us struggle to stay awake in church, right? Like, <laughs> let's be real. And I don't blame you. But although these three humans were not able to be there for Jesus, Jesus still died for them. And isn't there a lesson in that? That Jesus relates to us not based on our performance, not based on us meeting his expectations, but simply based on grace. And so if you come here today and you're like, man, I am the worst of followers of Jesus, because I'm that guy. I'm the guy that falls asleep, can't even keep watch for an hour. I want you to know that Jesus relates to you the same way he relates to all of us. And that's through grace, kindness, forgiveness, patience. Here's Jesus. You might say, was he angry? I don't know. Here's what I know. He still died for those three. 
And that's the God of grace that we believe in. And so how, the, how do we then live? I just want to offer three things. They're, they're very, very practical. The first one is we can be people who don't pretend to have it together. I want to give you permission not to pretend. Here's what you need to know. Um, I'm a pastor. Um, I, have, I have incredible church attendance. <laughs> I couldn't keep my job if I didn't. Right? I read my Bible most days. I pray every day, some form of prayer. I have an incredible wife. You know her. Many of you do. I have a beautiful daughter. I have rich community. Many of you are included in that. But you know what I don't have? I don't have a therapist. I have two of them. Why? Because I need two of them. Because life is hard, and I never want to sit up here and pretend like it's not, and I don't struggle. Because not only do I need two therapists, I need good friends that I could be myself with. I need mentors to guide and correct me. I need a doctor. And most importantly, I need God. I need God to continue to help me to heal the broken places of my life and my thinking and in my being. And I need God every single day to be my ultimate source of wisdom, strength, and peace. Here's what I want to say. I bet you do too. And let's stop pretending like we don't. Jesus didn't. And he defeated death. Why should we? And so we can become people who practice vulnerability. We can be real and honest with a trusted few. We could say things like, I'm struggling, or I'm hurting, or I'm confused, or I'm angry, or I feel indifferent. That should be our normal Christian vocabulary if we're following Jesus. And so when was the last time you described how you're really doing to someone other than God? Because notice, Jesus wasn't just praying and being honest with his father. He kept it real with his disciples. And in doing that, he was modeling that we need to be people that have a faith community that are honest and real and that we can have the benefits of being able to be heard and seen without shame or casting judgment or even receiving unsolicited advice. This is why we invite you into faith community. We don't say just attend church. We say get more involved, find a small group, invite each other to coffee, gather in your homes, do life together. Because the only way you will ever be known, the only way I will ever be known is if I let people in, if I practice vulnerability. And then the last thing is we get to be people, because Jesus modeled it, to live surrendered to his purposes, to live surrendered to his purposes. I've been wrestling with this question and that's, did Jesus get his prayer answered in the garden? When well, Hebrews 5, 7, it says this, 
During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Here's my takeaway. We're going to pray a lot of prayers. And we're going to feel like they're not getting answered. But I'm here to tell you today that if we pray like Jesus prayed, and at the end of every prayer, just add this simple statement that says this, not my will, but your will be done. Then we could be confident that we are having 100% of our prayers answered. Does that make sense? And so, of course, Jesus' prayer was answered because God's will was accomplished through Jesus' life. And let me just tell you, that is the most important thing that you and I get to celebrate and gather for. And I want to invite you in this moment as we invite the band to come up because we are getting ready to celebrate Easter Sunday. The most important truth that you and I get to celebrate is the fact that Jesus did indeed beat death. And because he beat death, he now is in a position to offer forgiveness of sin and eternal relationship with the Father. That is what you and I get when we get Jesus. But the suffering had to happen. Him submitting to God's will had to happen for you and I to even begin to experience the things that we get to celebrate here today. And so as we um, go into communion, we're going to invite you to share your own moment. And here's what I want you to be thinking about. I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about that you are forgiven and the fact that the bread represents God's body. I'm sorry, Jesus' body broken on our behalf and that the cup represents the bloodshed that now offers forgiveness for you and I. I want you thinking about those things, but I also want you as the band leads us into this first part of the song, I want you to think about what are the areas in your life where you need to stop pretending? Where you need to get honest with God and vulnerable with the trusted few and submit whatever you're going through into the purpose that God has for whatever challenge or whatever season you are in. There's a verse that says that we can humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and cast all our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I want to just remind you of that, that whatever you're going through, it doesn't change how God feels about you. He absolutely, 100% cares for you. So I want to invite you to take communion on your own as we reflect on this song.